Well, thank you for that good music. Pastor Chris, I still love you. <laughs> See, if you hadn't reminded me of that, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have remembered it. But uh, God's still good. For the first time I stood, and I've been there many times since, but the first time I stood on Tiananmen Square in China, I was with a bunch of our missionaries and they were showing me around. And It's a huge place and it was, it was hot. Many people had umbrellas because of the sun. How many of you bald-headed guys know you have to have a cap or an umbrella? One. So anyway, there were people had umbrellas. But I saw this line of people. Actually, there were two people standing side by side in the line. Uh, was as far as you could see, it, it looked like a mile long. There were people lined up, two side by side, and it was moving, but not much. It was just ever, slowly moving. I asked the missionary, "What? What are they doing?" They said, "Brother Godfrey, they're standing in line, waiting their turn to see Chairman Miles' dead body." You know, that just broke my heart. I thought I wouldn't stand five seconds to see some dead guy's body. They don't need to see a dead man's body. They need to hear about a living Christ. And um, that that stirred my heart, broke my heart. And then we walked across Tiananmen Square and we went down under the road. If you've ever been in Beijing, you go down under and you cross under this road that must be about 15 lanes across it. So you go under it and you come out the other side. And the forbidden city where the emperors used to live, now it's the tourist site, but we went down across the forbidden city and it takes hours to go through that thing. And we got down right in the heart of the forbidden city. And you'll never guess what we saw. Starbucks coffee shop. (laughs) Went all the way through it, came out the other side, got in a taxi and came back all the way around to Chinaman Square on the other side. And ate in one of the largest Kentucky Fried Chickens I've ever been in in my life. Now I'm telling you that, but you know what God was teaching? You know what I'm thinking? Chinese don't need our Singer Soul Machines and Coca-Colas and Starbucks coffee and the most famous man in China is Colonel Sanders. That's not what they need. They need to hear about our Savior in China and Italy and all these places. I left China and I was, I was in down in the Philippines and I've been down there preaching. I love, I love to go to the Philippines. I can see more people saved in a month in the Philippines than anywhere else the rest of the whole year. And I just love being there. I, I love seeing people get saved in great churches there. We have one church in the Philippines in the great Bible college there in Iloilo City. There are 1,200 churches that have been started out of that church and Bible college. And folks, that, I mean, that's not even, that's, I've seen them. I've been there. They help those graduates go out and plant a new church and put up a bamboo structure and take their offerings and eventually buy some in. Anyway, I'd been there preaching and loved it. And I was flying back up to Japan. I'm sitting on the airplane by myself and I was flipping through. I had some homemade Japanese vocabulary cards I'd made and I was going through that, working on it. And as I was doing that, this young Filipina came and sat beside me and she said, sir, what are you doing? I said, well, mom, I'm, I'm studying Japanese. And she said, why would you do that? And she's, I said, well, I'm a preacher of the gospel. And I love to be able to share the gospel with people in their own language. It just is it's better if I can do that. And uh, she said, would you tell me more about that? 
And before the airplane ever took off from the tarmac in Manila, she was on her way to heaven. Now that gets me excited. After the tsunami in Japan, I've been to Japan many, many times, but uh, when the tsunami hit and right after that, I was over in Mongolia and the missionaries started writing me and emailing me and said, could you come to Japan? And I tried to change my ticket, but I was flying on the Chinese airlines, couldn't do that. Flew all the way back to America, turned right around, flew back to Japan. And I went up with some of our missionaries. Some of you know have mentioned me, Dave Carter Dave and his wife and son Stephen, missionary in his own right. And a group of us, we were sleeping on the ground in tents up on a mountain over the area where the tsunami came in. And in this big Kesanuma, big city there on the northeast coast of Japan, that the tsunami came in there 90 feet high. And every day we were going down giving out blankets and clothing and fuel and food and gospel tracts and New Testaments and uh, trying to win people to Christ. But coming back from there, I, I preached at Yokosuka Baptist Church one of the largest Navy bases in the world there. And on that Sunday morning, it was Easter Sunday, I preached and five people got saved, including a Japanese. And I could go on country after country where I've been and I've seen people saved. And I just want you to know, folk, God is still God. And He still wants to save souls. And He still is saving souls. And that's what this whole missionary thing is all about, is God touching the heart of somebody. We don't, we missionaries, we, we don't feel like we're any, we're not anyone special. We're just plain, ordinary people just like you all, but we just are people who said, Lord, if, if you want me to go, I'll do my best and I'll go. If I were to say to you, open your Bibles to one of the most exciting missionary books in the New Testament, where would you go? Okay, that's, that's, a, that's what I, most people would say, the book of Acts, and you would be right. But can I challenge you tonight uh, to look at another little book in the New Testament that you may have never seen in the missionary light, but I think you will. I hope you will. Not just because I'm going to preach this sermon, but I hope you'll go home and, and read it again. But I want you to open your Bibles to the book of Third John. Third John. Now, when we went to the when we went down to work with Muslims in Senegal, we lived way up on the northern border of our country. Now you have to know they had never seen a Bible. They knew nothing about the Gospel of Matthew or the book of Psalms or the book of Genesis or the book of Revelation. They, they didn't know any of that. So if you said open your Bible to Third uh, John, they didn't know what that was. So we taught them to sing the books of the Bible in French. And we would start, Jeunesse exode levitique, nombre du terronome. And we just kept on singing right on out through l'Apocalypse de Jean. So I've told you that. If I said out there, open your Bible to 3rd John, I could hear people. <laughs> and they would finally get there. So maybe by now you're there. If you're not, it's over there near Revelation toward the end. 3rd John. And I'm going to do something tonight that I rarely get to do. I'm going to read the whole book. <laughs> Don't panic. <laughs> Third John, the elder unto the well-beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospereth. For I rejoice greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee, even as thou walkest in the truth. 
I love it all. I love the Bible. I love this little book, but verse number four. Boy, it, it's, it's a great verse. Listen, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Our own children and our grandchildren and preacher, those people that we won to Christ and disciple. We were home. We don't get home much. We're on the road a lot of the time. Nobody would believe this about us. We don't like to travel. We love what we do, but the traveling part, we do it to get where we're going. But we were home and my telephone rang and I answered it. I'm coming back to the next verse. Hang on. Telephone rang and I answered. And this little voice came over the telephone and said, Grandpa. I just got saved. He said, I get to go to heaven. He said, my sins are forgiven. And he's just telling me all about it. And man, I'm, I'm rejoicing. And he said, Grandpa, can I talk to Grandma? And so I gave the phone to Linda. And, and he starts telling me, he said, Grandma, I just got saved. And he said, and Grandma, are you saved? <laughs> now, folks, look, there's no greater joy. Than to hear that my children walk in truth. Verse 5, beloved. Now John's writing to this man Gaius. Thou doest faithfully whatsoever thou doest to the brethren and to strangers, which have borne witness of thy charity before the church, whom if thou bring forward on their journey after a godly sort, thou shalt do well, because that for his name's sake they went forth, taking nothing of the Gentiles, we therefore ought to receive such that we might be fellow helpers to the truth. I wrote unto the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to have their preeminence among them, receiveth us not. Wherefore, if I come, I will remember his deeds which he doeth, prating against us with malicious words, not content therewith. Uh, neither doth he himself receive the brethren, and forbiddeth them that would, and casteth them out of the church. Here's what God thinks about that guy and his works, beloved. Follow not that which is evil, but that which is good. He that doeth good is of God, but he that doeth evil hath not seen God. Demetrius hath good report of all men and of the truth itself. Yea, and we also bear record, and you know that our record is true. I had many things to write, but I will not with ink and pen write unto thee. But I trust I shall shortly see thee, and we shall speak face to face. Peace be unto thee. Our friends salute thee. Greet the friends uh, by name. So if you haven't, if you have not yet done your Bible reading, you did part of it. If you followed along there, I've already told you I love this book. Uh, this book, or let me rephrase that: the God of this book has changed my life. When I got saved, I had a. Anyone know what a dime store Bible is? Anyone don't know what a dime store is? In a cheap Bible, yellow pages, tiny little print. That's what I had. I don't know, they gave it to me going up from primaries to juniors. I had it, never read it. No one discipled me. When God got hold of my heart about preaching the gospel, someone gave me an old hardback Schofield Bible. White pages, maps in the back, cross references. And I, I discovered something I wish I had known many years before, God's Word. And I started reading it, and I've been reading it ever since, and I just love it. And there's... Of all the things I love about the Bible, one is the realism of it. Hey, you know what? The Bible just tells it like it really is. It gives the picture warts and all, freckles and all. 
I was staying with some folk over in Pennsylvania, in the farmhouse. They had this crocheted saying upon the wall, said, A face without freckles is like a night sky without stars. <laughs> well, I like that. And, and so John is writing this letter, and um, he's giving us a picture, a little cameo, if you will, a picture of a f- early first century church. And did you notice that times have not changed greatly? It wasn't much different then than now. There were a lot of great and wonderful things going on in the church. But there were some things going on that weren't so good as well. And uh, it tells us about its people and its problems. Now, this is more of a Bible study, I guess, tonight about missions. But I, I'm going to confess, I kept changing my title. When I started out, I was going to preach on three men in the church. And I was going to talk about... Gaius and Diotrephes and Demetrius. And then I realized as I studied, I, I can't really do that because John the Apostle wrote the book and he placed an important part in it. So I changed my title to Four Men in the Church. Then the Holy Spirit got a hold of me and convicted me so bad and said, you're leaving out the most important men in all the church. And I changed my, I changed my title again. I almost hate to tell you all this because when I say five men in the church, y'all are going to panic. But don't do that. You'll catch on in a moment. Five men in the church. Third John, let me tell you what I believe it is. I believe it's a love letter by one of God's Christ's apostles, a Christian pastor, if you would, to a wonderful Christian man in a church who had opened his home and life to help and encourage God's traveling preachers. Now, I don't know what else you call a missionary, but, that, but that's what we do. Uh, we go out and in the early days when people went out, they didn't have holiday inns to stay in. They, uh, they, they didn't have Chevrolets to ride in. They didn't have fancy things. They stayed in some pretty rough places. And I, you know, as I think about that, let me just pause here for a moment. We missionaries who travel and stay with people, it's one of the most humbling things you can imagine. Over the years, and Linda and I, some of our best friends, people who pray for us and love us, are people where we stayed in their homes. I was, Linda's mother was really sick, and I was traveling by myself, and I was up in Upper State, Michigan. Now, how many, that's, how many of y'all know that's way up yonder? How many of you know for a southern boy from South Carolina, I mean, that's, that's uphill all the way. Well, I preached a conference in the church up in Michigan, and and I stayed all that week in the conference. I stayed with the family. All their kids were grown. They were not young people. Uh, the, but I stayed in their little home with them. And we went back and forth to church. And we talked. And, and Sunday came. And that Sunday, Linda's mother had gone to heaven. And I was preaching my last sermon that morning. I was going to leave that afternoon to drive back home. And, and I went out to my car to get in my car to drive back to South Carolina. And those Yankee folk followed me all the way out to my car. And you know what they did? They cried. And you know what I did? I cried. Not that I was sad. I was crying tears of joy that God would give me dear friends like that. And that's what I see in this man Gaius, and it's a wonderful story. And uh, let me let me do... Well, I'm going to do it my way anyway. I don't know why I say let me, but... I want to share with you just briefly five men in the church, and then I want to give you some some short 
simple suggestions about missions from the last one. But let me, let me share with you the five men in the church. And I'm going to start in verse number 7 with the most important man in any church. Because it says here, because for his name's sake they went forth. Why do missionaries go? They don't go to make Americans out of people. They don't go, they don't go necessarily to change their culture. Let me tell you why they go. For his name's sake. What's his name? Look, folks, his name is so great you don't even have to say it and everybody knows who we're talking about. It's the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and we go out and you send us out in for his name's sake. Here's the one that's so great that you don't even have to say his name. Yet the Bible says in his name through faith in his name hath made this man strong. The Bible says in Philippians 2.9, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name that's above every name. And I want you to, I don't want to remind you tonight that he is the standard for living. He's the standard for giving. You say, Brother God, how much should I give to help get these missionaries out to their fields? I tell you this, you give like Jesus gave, you'll be alright. 2 Corinthians 8 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sakes He became poor. How much should we give? We ought to give like Jesus uh, gave. Do you, un- do you understand that without Him, there would be, there would, there'd be no salvation. There'd be no joy. There would be no church. There would be no missionaries. There'd be no missions conference. But because He came, there are all of those things and much more. The first man in the church. Let me just say one more word about that. But we had better, in the United States and across the world, keep our focus right about that. Church is about Jesus, not about personalities and egos. And we are in dangerous territory when we start exalting any man. Number one, ourselves. It's about Him. And it's built on Him. So Jesus... I say without blushing, is the first man in the church, or he certainly better be. Let me give you man number two, John the Apostle. Back in the uh, first verses there, he's writing this to Gaius. See, John, writing this love letter to this man in the church, uh, he, he had walked with Jesus. You remember this, John? He was that young disciple. Those 12 men who followed Jesus everywhere and John seemed to be the younger and he was always in that, those three who went with him on the Mount of Transfiguration and several other occasions. John had walked with Jesus so closely that he had, can I say it respectfully, he had the aroma of Christ about him. Dr. Charles Weigel spent his last days at Tennessee Temple. And I've heard him tell it and you, you, that was later when you were there, but I've read it several times. Dr. Weigel told about preaching a Bible conference out in California, and he had preached all week, and, and Sunday came. And that afternoon, someone had recommended that he go down and tour the famous Tuberose Gardens in Pasadena. And he, and he did that afternoon, so he came back to church that evening. He sat down on the front row beside the other speaker, and as soon as he sat down, the other, spe- other speakers started He said, Dr. Weigel, I know where you've been. You've been in the rose gardens. You have the aroma of roses in your garments. Well, if you go back to the, in fact, would you look at, look at verse one? I'm not going to reread all this again, but look at verse one. 
the elder unto the well-beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Verse 2, beloved. Do you get the idea that John loved this man? You see, John had been walking with Jesus so closely and so much that he had that, he had that aroma of Christ about him. He loved people. I've already mentioned this before. I love to see people saved. Can, if I'm totally honest with you though, let me tell you what really excites me. It's when somebody gets saved and they, next Sunday they're in church and they start growing. And when I, th- I'm so proud. John was so proud of this man Gaius. Preacher, you know what it means? I know you do. To be proud of your church members. When you hear that they're winning people to Christ. When you hear that they're praying for you. When you see them concerned about their next door neighbor. When you see those Africans and Japanese and Filipino Christians stepping out in faith. They are our children. And John the Apostle was excited that one of his children was living for Jesus. That's man number two. I told you not to panic. Man number three, verse 12. There's only one verse in the book, this little letter, about this one man. Verse 12 says, Demetrius hath good report of all men and of the truth itself. Now, I believe Demetrius was one of God's missionaries. Now, I know what you're thinking. Brother Godfrey, it doesn't say that. I know it doesn't. But John the Apostle is writing to this man Gaius, who has already been receiving these traveling preachers into his home, and it's evident that Gaius did not know Demetrius because John now is saying, here's what I think he's saying, hey, Gaius, another missionary's coming. There was a man in my church when I pastored down in South Carolina. God called him to preach, went to Bob Jones University, went out to uh, the eastern side of Memphis to pastor a church, and he'd been there a while. And he called me one day and he said, Pastor, he said, I, I've been here a while. I've been trying to help these people, but they have come to me. And here's what they said. His church people, now listen. They came to him and said, Preacher, why do you have all these missionaries in here? They're just looking for a free place to stay and a free meal. <laughs> I don't know why I'm laughing. That's not funny. And here's what I told him. I said, I won't call his name. I said, you just well go out in front of that church and get you a ladder right over the front door, right Ichabod. Because if they feel that way about God's people, God cannot bless them. And here was a man, John the Apostle's writing to Gaius, and he said, Gaius, another missionary is coming. And let, can I say this about it? Here's the kind of missionary that you want to support. Listen to what it says. He hath, a good, he hath good report of all men. Honest, integrity, had a good testimony, and of the truth itself. Now, I think those are two, two things right there that go hand in hand. He was right doctrinally, but he still lived right. Isn't it strange how people can, sometimes they orthodox, they orthodox, they squeak, but they don't have any integrity in other things. So I believe Demetrius was the, uh, was the missionary. Now see, it's interesting. Second John tells us how to deal with false prophets. Third John tells us how to deal with the right kind of prophets, God's men. Okay, that's my third man. I've all, y'all like that? I mean, three out of five. Or right, let me give you my fourth one. I wish I could skip this one. Verses 9, 10, and 11. There was a man in this church, and his name was Diotrephes. And I'm going to give him a title, and my title for him is this. He was the opponent of missions and missionaries. 
I have met some of them. I have met some of them at independent Baptist churches who will come and say, why do you go out there to those other countries and bother them? They've got their customs and they've got their religion. Just leave them alone. Why are you going to do that? I met some folk in sitting in independent Baptist churches who have no desire, no burden whatsoever to reach their neighbors nor the world for Christ. Any of you ever listened to Dr. J. Vernon McGee on the radio through the Bible? I heard Dr. McGee say one time, he said, not only have I met Diotrephes, I met Mrs. Diotrephes. <laughs> and here was a man in a church, if he couldn't be the boss, he didn't want to be anything. Let me, let me tell you what I believe about this guy. I can almost picture him. I, I think I met some of them too. Uh, here was a man, I believe, who was so insecure in his own ministry that he couldn't stand to see God bless somebody else. It's alright if God wants to bless somebody else. You hear people say, well, he didn't go to my college. You know, I think God might bless somebody that went to Pensacola. I think God might bless somebody went to Bob Jones University. Somebody went to Crown. Somebody went, you know, we, we, well, he did. He's not part of my mission board. Well, you know, I think God blessed people with Baptist World Mission. I think God would bless people with Worldwide Baptist New Testament Mission. Why, why in the world do we get so insecure and, and people get uptight? Here was a man. He wanted first place. He refused to accept John the Apostle. He slandered the other apostles. He was pratting. Well, that's an interesting word. I'm not going to go into it. Go study that a little bit. He tried to excommunicate the believers. He was not happy about anything. The late Dr. A.T. Robertson wrote an article years ago. He had a little religious newspaper that was printed down in, in Dallas. And uh, one month, he wrote an article in that little Baptist newspaper called the church boss. And it was based on Diotrephes in Third John. Now I read this in one of his commentaries. He said that that newspaper went out all the people who had subscribed to it. And he said in his commentary, he had 20 letters back from deacons in Baptist churches asking that their subscription be canceled. <laughs> because he wrote that against them. Well, I'm finished with that guy. Here's what God says about that man. Beloved, follow not that which is evil. Now, four men I've covered. Let me come. To, this, this is where I've been heading. But there's a man in this church named Gaius. And if Diotrephes was the opponent of missions and missionaries, there was a man there who was their friend. And his name was Gaius. What a man he must have been. And when you read his story, and again, I'm not going to reread the verses. I've already read them. But if you go back and reread verses 3 through 8, here's what you're going to find. Number one, here was a man who was faithful to God's message. If there's ever a day when we need men of God in America and across the world who will stand up and without blushing say, this is God's word and here's the truth of it. 
It's today that we need that. Here was a man who stood for the truth. But more than that, when you read verses 5, 6, 7, and 8, you find out that he was not only true to the truth, but he was also true and faithful to God's messengers. Boy, isn't that a wonderful combination? Here was a guy who was doctrinally sound, but he had a practical ministry. Let me say it this way. Folk, if the truth's worth standing for, it's worth living for. Some Christians are like porcupines. They got a lot of good points, but they're hard to get close to. You want to you make your pastor a happy man? I don't need to get you to raise your hand because I already know the answer to that. You want to make your pastor a real... He's already a happy man, but you want to make him even happier. You know how to do it? Live like this man lived. Stand for the truth and love people. Well, what a wonderful combination. Gaius wasn't concerned about his pride, what somebody else was going to say. Gaius was a man who loved the truth. He rejoiced that these people were walking in truth. And then these brethren, in verse talks about in verse 5, brethren and strangers. You all understand that God's, God's missionaries are sometimes strange individuals. There are reasons for that. When somebody goes to South Africa and stays a bunch of years, they come back more African than American. Missionary kids. Our kids grew up in Africa. Several of them were born there. They came back to America. Number one, sometime somebody asked Robert if he wanted a biscuit, and he said, what's a biscuit? I was pastor, and had, we had a Christian school, and the teacher came in one day and said, Pastor, Robert's out on the playground eating grasshoppers. I said, leave him alone. He's done it all his life. Gaius... Loved the truth, but he loved God's people. And he, he received these brethren and strangers, and he helped them. So, okay, let me now, I'm back at Gaius. Let me give you some simple truth as I finish tonight from this man Gaius in these verses 5 through 8. Remember that I've already said when these men of God and families went out, there were no holiday inns, there were no Queen Elizabeth ships, there were no fancy cars, uh, there were very few inns. There were inns, but inns were place of varmints. In the inns of that time, I'll tell you what you could find there. Fleas, rats, and prostitutes. That was not a place for God's people. So Christians opened up their homes like Gaius had done to these people. And the missionaries went forth for his name's sake. But let me give you some simple principles now. Beginning, uh, let me find it here in verse number 7. Again, I want you to notice that verse. Principles about missions from this man Gaius. Because that for his name's sake they went forth. Underline this next phrase in your mind. Taking nothing of the Gentiles. Folk, listen to me. These missionaries, when they go out, they are not to raise their funds from the lost world. That's not the way it should be. Uh, There are some churches that try to do everything else under the sun. Have car washes and bake sales and 
one thing or another. I'm not saying any of that's wrong. But these early day missionaries and missionaries today, let me just say this. Get it off my chest. These fine ladies and these family going to Italy, they are not beggars. They are not beggars. They are ambassadors for the King of Kings. You don't, you can't tell me that all of them could not do, if it was a matter of making a living and making money, there's a lot, there are many ways better for them to do it than being on the deputation trail. They were not to solicit their funds to reach the world from the lost world. They were dependent on other Christians for their support. I'm trying to think, <laughs> if, when I pause like that, I'm trying to, Determine how how mean I want to be, I guess, and, and so I hesitate on that sometimes. But have y'all heard the conversation that was going on between the hundred dollar bill and the one dollar bill? Have you ever heard that? The hundred dollar bill was in this conversation with this dollar bill, and the hundred dollar bill was he was doing all the talking and describing that he was staying in this fancy hotel, and one day he had gone down to the restaurant, and they had fancy lights up and. He could smell the filet mignon and the ladies were coming in in their mink stoles and he was just going on and on and on talking uh, to this one dollar bill about all these wonderful things he'd seen in these fancy places. After a while, the one dollar bill had all he could take and he said, sir, would you just be quiet? I don't know anything about that. I spend all my time in Baptist churches. <laughs> I'm just trying to be honest and transparent tonight. If it's about money, I'm in the wrong place. You girls are in the wrong place. If it's about money. If it's about money, I'd write a letter to the Rotary Club. Now, I'm not against the Rotary Club. But if it was about money, I think I, can, I, think I know how to do it. I'd write a letter to the Rotary Club and the Ruritan. And, and more than that, I, I got a real brilliant idea. It just came to me. I, I write a letter to the government. <laughs> And, and request a grant. Because they got boxes of money sitting around just waiting to give it out. It seemed like. I'll leave that right where it's at. Taking nothing of the Gentiles. Remember it. They are not beggars. They're representatives, ambassadors for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Let me give you another principle. Verse number 6 and the latter part of that verse whom if thou bring forward on their journey, notice this next phrase, after a godly sort. When we help missionaries get to the field, it's a thing that honors God. What do you want to do with your life? Well, I'm just serious as I can be. I want to honor God with my life. When, when people think about me, I want them to, to, to think about Christ. I want them to think about faithfulness. It's a God-honoring thing. People ask us all the time, Linda and I, we've lived in some really fun places, and they'll ask us about experiences and things. And they'll ask us sometimes, what's the hardest thing that you had to do? Can I tell you what it is? It's being out in the, some of the poorest places in the world, going out to preach in a poor village, being down in the jungle when we didn't have anything. And they would give us gifts. You want to know the hard part of being a missionary sometimes? 
for six months, we lived down in the jungle and we didn't have a penny. And those African Christians would walk 20 or 30, sometimes more miles to our house to bring us a stalk of bananas or a pineapple or bat leg off an antelope or whatever they had. And they would bring it. And it's so many times I would want to say, please don't. We, God is good to us. Please don't give us anything else. But folks, that would have been the worst thing I could possibly have done. Because you know what they were doing? They were honoring God. It's a God-honoring thing. Let me give you point number three. I'm, I'm really, I'm almost finished with this. Same verse. Verse number six. It says, talking John, writing to Gaius, says, Whom if thou bring forward on their journey after a godly sort. I believe, I, I, I'm not going to do it tonight. I challenge you. I believe that I could prove from the New Testament that to bring them forward on their journey is a technical term in the New Testament for missions. You see it several other times. You see it in the last chapter of the book of Romans. And you see it another time or two. And what does it mean? Now think with me. I want you to think. What does it mean? John wrote Gaius and said, Gaius, these, these traveling missionaries, these brethren, these strangers are coming through. What does it mean to bring them forward on their journey? Oh, it, it means exactly what it says. It means anything we can do to help them get there. Sport, prayers, gifts. You folk here, you've been so gracious. I mean, you've you've given gifts. You provided meals for us. You've done all these things. But it may mean more than that. You know, God gives us all different gifts, and some of you maybe God hasn't called you to preach. But I tell you, some of you may know how to put a car back together when it's falling apart. Have you ever gone out when it? Have you ever gone out when you have a new missionary starting deputation and just walked around his car? I've done that a few times. I'm not telling you to go. I'm not telling you to go check our cars out. But you know what? Bringing them forward on their journey might mean for you. Go walk around the car. If you see steel sticking out of that old tire, it might mean God would say to you, go down to Goodyear and buy them four tires. What does it mean to bring them forward on their journey? Ladies, let me ask you a question. What does the missionary mother do on Monday when they leave the conference? Or on Thursday when they leave? What do they do? Think think with me and you tell me. What do they do? What does the missionary mother, wife and mother do when they leave the conference? <clears throat> let me tell you what they do. They go to the laundromat. Do you think that bringing them forward on their journey might mean... God could touch your heart to say, ma'am, do you need to wash some clothes this week while you're here? Do you have some things I could iron for you? See, sometimes we make missions so complicated, and really it's not complicated. We're just bringing them forward on their journey. We were down in, we were down in Georgia, Douglasville, Georgia. I was preaching a conference. There was a family there going to Mexico. They had 12 children. And smart addict that I am, I get myself in trouble. I said during that meeting, I said, you know, the man with 12 kids, he's more content than the man with $12 million. Because the man with $12 million, he wants some more. Now, the man with 12 kids, (laughs) did you know that missionary ruined my joke? He raised his hand. Right in the service, he raised his hand. He said, Brother Godfrey, we're expecting number 13. (laughs) 
You know what his wife does on Monday? You know what his wife does on Tuesday? You know what his wife does on Wednesday? Have you ever thought about bringing them forward on their journey? I'm I'm not going to tell you what it means for you, but I believe it does mean that we who are not going ought to have equal sacrifice and equal dedication to those who are going. And then let me give you one last thing and I'm, I'm finished. Verse number 8. I love this verse too. We therefore ought to receive such, that is these people. We therefore ought to receive such. Why? That we might be fellow helpers to the truth. Here's the beauty of this. It gives us a part of their ministry. Life may have put you in a position, you may not have a call to go to some other country. Maybe you, you could not, you could never do that, physical reasons. But you can make yourself an ally to the truth. And I'm gonna make a statement. I want you to listen, I want you to listen to me. Those of you who are here and you're members of this church and you give and you pray and you write letters and you send emails and you do everything to encourage these missionaries, you are just as much needed as those who are going to the field. Let me, let me say that same statement, change it just a little bit. You're just as spiritual as those who are going to the field. Now the truth is this. Sometimes you look at us, you look at the missionaries, and you think, I could never be like that. Can I assure you, oh, but you can. They would tell you that, all of them. I would tell you that. But if God has chose to leave you here in a great Bible-believing independent Baptist church, you're just as important in the missionary enterprise as those who go. My conclusion is this tonight. What is your name? I wonder tonight if there's somebody here in this group And your name is Demetrius. God's telling you, you need to go to the mission field and serve him down in Brazil or down in South Africa or up in Ghana or in modern day Spain or in Russia, wherever it would be. Maybe your name is Demetrius and you know God's calling you to be a missionary, to be a preacher. I hope and pray that at Cross Point Baptist Church there will never be a person here named Diotrephes. But I believe that here there are and they could be a whole host of people named Gaius. A man who loved the truth and he loved God's truth carriers, God's messengers. Are we doing what we can do to bring them forward on their journey, after a godly sword, becoming fellow helpers to the truth.